Hey, welcome to the 155th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. Today's episode is brought to you by patron James Scogan, the Scoganator. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Allison Akel on. She's the head of fiction and nonfiction for Shondaland. She brought us shows like How to Get Away with Murder, The Catch, Still Star-Crossed, Station 19, and For the People. She's like part of probably one of the most successful network TV show empires that's on right now, right? Yeah. They've got a whole night, Thursday nights. She owns. She just dominates. And on top of that, to make things even more interesting, not only does she have a great history in network broadcast television, Shondaland, in case you're not up on the trades, has made a big historic shift to Netflix, and they've got a huge deal there as well. So we talk about what it is to make a Shondaland show, to be in the big leagues, and also the transition from traditional network scripted series to streaming series. And my favorite part, as usual, is when we talk about what she likes to hear in a pitch. I'm actually curious if our listeners are over that question, because I pretty much ask everyone that question. Yeah. I I am maybe a little over it. Yeah, I think you are, but I'm not. I feel like until... I walk into a room and instantly sell a show. I still need the answer <laughs> to that question. No, I mean, obviously Fair it's enough. different for, and like we haven't had a lot of like network, you know, broadcast sure. network TV people on the show and they, they want different things than Allison cable. had made, has made the most television shows our parents have heard of, of any of our guests for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And she's done a ton of other things too. I mean, she yeah. is the head of nonfiction. It is a very good episode. She used to host a show about Dawson's Creek, so she is very good on the mic. So good. So I'm very excited to hear what people think about this conversation. We've gotten incredibly positive feedback about this development month. I know. I'm so bummed. This is episode four of four on development month. What a wonderful end, though. Yeah. And this was Matt's idea. I won't give him credit for it. And I was like... You did not want to do it. I was like, "Ah, okay, development. What am I going to ask them? Like what they like to hear in a pitch? And it turns out that, yes. You can ask it four times and not get bored. But honestly, I would love to hear from our listeners. If you can email us or tweet at us, if you like these episodes, we've heard Mm -hmm. from a few people already, but if you want us to do things like this again, we're talking about doing like a producer month and doing a writer month. And obviously we will keep checking in with our director friends as well. But, uh, But let us know what you think about this. It would be cool if we did like a themed month that then culminated with an event well like we do like a pitch fest at the end of development no no, the opposite of that i just mean like we all eat pizza together oh um yeah pizza so speaking of pizza uh i've been eating a lot of it oren what have you been working on lately I, i don't know i've had actually a pretty busy uh couple months i'm working on this thing right now which is uh it's a commercial, but it's like a cross-promotion for a big studio movie that's coming out. Yeah, um, it's sort of like the Miracle Workers thing I did before. You kind of told me about it in the first place, like where companies will showcase the big movies and brands and stuff that they have coming out, and then brands will kind of say like, oh, well, we want to be as cool as the X-Men, for instance. Yeah, so it's weird because they don't give you any money, but they give you kind of some access to... Like IP and things like that. Right. Um, Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So we had a meeting today. We were building a very specific costume that's supposed to look like... An uh, iconic costume. Yeah. That's yeah. supposed to look like this element of the movie. And when we were at the costume meeting today, the director of the actual movie, this big, you know, mm-hmm. $100 million studio film probably. 
80 million. I mean, I mean, a blockbuster movie. Yeah. Like a big, a, like as big as they summer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Movie was there to come look at this costume that we were looking at. And I kind of felt like, even though I was the director of the spot, like all anybody cared about was what this other director thought. And he brought his dog and everyone loved his dog. I just felt like it was kind of like a celebrity, but it was a director. Yeah. And, and you're the director of this. But, and, but I'm the director. Yeah. That and person was, is not the director of anything. Yeah. Except for the movie that you are referencing in your spot. Yeah. And no one even yeah. like introduced me to him. So it, yeah, I yeah. felt weird being like, hey, I'm the director. All of a sudden, like, you know, everyone who was like, wor- you were working with has turned around and is kissing someone else's butt, basically. But it's like, you're the second director, you know? You're like the less important director on some of these things. Yeah. And it's it's weird. And it made me kind of think about like, do I care about that stuff? It made me almost wonder like, is part of me wanting to be the director is wanting when I'm like on set or like involved in the pre-production to, to be like, like, Hey, I'm the guy that's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm you the know, boss. running the show a little bit. Yeah. yeah. People are going to laugh a little more at my jokes. Yeah. I, um, had a similar experience that I don't think we've talked about. No, we not for, on the podcast for sure. Uh, for a show, I, sh- I can't, I can't yeah. get details on this one, unfortunately, which is, but there's like a big celebrity, a big in celebrity. It. Um, and, it was one of those kind of shoots where you're doing, you're kind of a guest on a the series is set, right? So like you're kind of walking on in between, not setups, so like the crew was away for um, on location while I was shooting there and stuff. But I was with the star of the show who's been on TV for quite some time. And, uh, you know, I say hello and all this stuff. We've got like an hour and a half and like the crew's going to be coming back soon. We've, so we've only got 30 minutes in the spot, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's chaotic and we don't have a ton of time to prep. And um, I say hello and uh, start to show this person the blocking. And he says to me, bitch, I'm on TV. <laughs> and we all have a good laugh because he says it in a funny way. But then also he's telling you, like, he says, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. I've got it. I'll show Even you. Even though you're I'm, the director. I'll show you what I'm going to do. And then you make we'll it go work. from there. Which is so fascinating because you find a huge spread of types of talent. Where some well, I would say that's unexpected. That's like that's not the norm. Also, tell you what, it threw me for a curveball. But but there are people who are like dutifully will do the job, and they're like, who who are you? Why are we here? What's going on? Who aren't going to show you any respect, but you are just going to do it because their agent told them they had to or whatever. Um, where you you feel like you know interviewer number forty five at a press junket or something. Yeah, and then there are people who are like, oh. You're here to promote me. Thank you. How can I help? I want my thing to be successful. And I saw that at Comedy Central all the time. And uh, I can say with absolute certainty that um, I felt like Key and Peel. those guys were so grateful and engaged and smart. And even if they didn't totally get it, they were inquisitive and learned the power of promotion while we were kind of all doing it together and were in tune with us and you wanted to work harder for them as a result. Well, let me ask you this. If you saw Key or Peel at a coffee shop, would you walk up to them and say, what's up? I saw Keegan at a a mess hall and said hello. And he was excited to see me. But that guy is, I think I've said this on the show already, but like there's not a better person at being friendly than Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, I've also seen him at Mess Hall and also said hello, and he was also excited to see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. Eye contact, firm handshake, great right. laugher, 
makes you feel incredible. Well, if you saw this other celebrity that you just worked with, is this okay? person forgot me in <clears throat> like in between blinks. <laughs> right. Well, I yeah, I did stuff with Harrison Ford, with Will Arnett, sure. with Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. with Sarah Silverman, with Jack Black, Selena Gomez. I saw Selena Gomez at like a sushi restaurant like a year after we worked together. I mean, there is just like zero recognition of who I am, you know? Yeah. And and these are celebrities. They meet, they have thousands of people. Like they walk out their door and everyone is looking at them, right? Yeah. So they're used to people trying to make eye contact with them. And they meet directors all the time. They're doing commercials. They're doing late night spots. They're doing cameos on their friends' TV shows. Like they meet the the captain of each of these ships. They They're on a lot of ships too, right? So like I've noticed that I have gotten worse at remembering crew members over and i really hate that about myself like i'm kind of beating myself up over it lately um and it's just like look when you meet 50 people a week that's just a lot of people yeah you know yeah i'm pretty good at faces i might not know their names but i'll be like hey have we worked together before and then they'll be like yeah i cut your hair yesterday at floyd's (laughs) and then you're like yes yeah no but i have worked with like tim meadows you know yeah yeah he like for a couple days you worked with tim meadows it was a two-day shoot yeah yeah. but he like texted me after and he's like can i see a cut and like he was but what's weird is the other actors they were like amazing too and they were like when we're on set they were responsive to me and we talked and they you know were cool it seemed because we were doing more like promotional type things Mm -hmm. they um the director uh, you know, it's a short-lived thing. They work with a lot of directors, like you said. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the answer is it is fun to kind of be like in charge and for people to, you know, be excited to be part of the creative process that you're leading in a way. Yeah. Um, I but mean, also it, explicitly, that's your job. Yeah. But also, I guess at the end of the day, like if the thing we make is really good, then that's kind of all that matters. And mm-hmm. And the people that you worked with will hopefully remember that you're the person that made that. Right. Yeah. Egos, man. Yeah. Can't live with them. Pass the beer nuts. <laughs> Is that what they say? I guess so. I, yeah, I think also it's easy to forget, and this is a theme that we learn in all of, like every develop development episode, is that like everyone you're working with has a boss. And so some of it is that like when that director shows up, that director is works more closely with your client's bosses. Right. And so if the director is stoked about the spot, then maybe their bosses hear about it and then maybe they look good for it. Uh, you know, like there's a lot of politics to it as well. And so, uh, right. That all just, you just can't control it, you know? It also makes me feel excited for when I'm directing the hundred million dollar movie. And then some young director is doing Hell the promo yes. work for, my movie and then i'll i would go you make eye contact with them and, and talk i'd be to like them. hey yeah like how can i help are yeah. they taking care of you yeah yeah um and i would be like talk to, yeah I, i'd love to do so but so the director that came today asked where we're shooting and asked if um he could come on set and stuff so yeah see there you go it's like yeah but no notes okay <laughs> um well i hope this you just need to get this director on the podcast oh yeah i i will try to exciting okay well Anything else you want to add? I think... Oh, you know what? I have one tiny thing. So often... We talked about how I released the music video... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, last week or a week before. Potty Mouth. For Potty Mouth. Um, I realized I have, for the first time, a really awesome 
sequence of Vimeo links that show the progress of that. Oh, how it came to how, be. How it came to be. Including the, your treatment, right? So my, my the treatment I did is a video treatment. So you can compare that with Andy Young's rough cut to the final version and see kind of how they all came together. So that's pretty neat. So you I'm going to post um, that on the... Oh, because uh, it's a music video, the timing doesn't change. The timing doesn't change. Split exactly. screen that shite. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> or the old VFX reel move is like you put have like a slider. You the slider on it. Yeah. Well... You don't have to. <laughs> the, the problem is it's it's the fun between Andy's and mine would be would be there, but like the changes are significant, but like it's not like a huge wow factor. I think maybe it would be more interesting to see the finished version compared with the, the treatment treatment version. That's interesting. Maybe I'll do that. That's fun. Cool. Cool. Okay. Well, before we talk to Allison, I want to talk to you, dear listeners, <laughs> about our Patreon page patreon.com slash just shoot it pod what is patreon can you remind me you know it's i like to explain it as like a rolling kickstarter it's a way for you to subscribe a small amount of money or a large amount of money if you feel so feeling generous but you know a consistent amount of money that you're willing to donate to the project month over month to show your appreciation and support for the show uh, that money goes to things like paying our editor, Jay, who edits every single episode. Uh, that goes towards funding all of our live events so that we can keep them free and open to everyone, which is in the spirit of the show. And frankly, keeping the show free in general, right? Um, because there's a lot of hosting fees and blah, 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 blah. You guys don't care. You get it. It's a lot of stuff uh, and money and time to make the show run. And so giving us, you know, a buck a month, that's a quarter an episode four bucks a month no you get the, the picture well great well without further ado let's jump in with allison akel allison akel mm-hmm. how's it going it's going great thank you for joining us Welcome. thank you for having me so you we were talking off mic you've done everything that's right i'm uh, i'm out this is great <laughs> yeah. guys cool. you're the this worst my small swan song <laughs> podcast interview you're really bad at that game have i ever <laughs> yeah. or is that what is it no, never, never have i never have i ever i think i've yeah. done at least like a little bit of everything maybe not kind of gone the long stretch run on all of it but yeah it's what a, and some of it's been as an assistant and you Shine. mean in TV, in the world of TV, right? Yeah, and like film too. Oh, really? You did like I started out. Stuff? Yeah, I started out at Paramount Pictures, uh, assisting an EVP of marketing. Wow, oh, cool! Because it was the first job I could get, and it sure. paid well over time. And you, I just are you moved here. To tell and, us which movies you worked on. Oh yeah, and it was when DreamWorks Animation was still a part of it. Mm-hmm. So everything from Shrek to Revolutionary Road, which I really think encompasses <laughs> the gamut of human experience. Yeah, sure. Um, um, but just a small yeah. part of the alphabet. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. uh, but so now, yeah. you kind of you bounced around a little bit did a lot of assisting, and now you are at Shondaland. What is your right. official title at Shondaland? Head of Fiction and Nonfiction. Mm. See? Everything. So that, <laughs> that is fascinating. So does that mean... Could they not just call it head? I Yeah, right? <laughs> head uh, of... So I'm head of one department. There's an, I have an awesome colleague, Sarah Fisher, who's head of production. Okay. And really, it's sort of a, a nice, warm, all-encompassing title for the creative development side of things. Um, getting those projects from the very early stages into a couple of good seasons and running on their own. And then 
Um, a lot of what I do to support shows that have been on the air, like ABC, for more than a couple seasons, mm-hmm. you're not in the nitty gritty so much sure. as you just swoop in when there's a really specific staffing support need mm-hmm. or a really complicated crossover or a very specific episode that needs all hands on deck or just trying to flag great directors for the producing director to consider, mm-hmm. you know, as he or she puts together a lineup. Right. That's still quite a bit, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and so so the other thing that's interesting about Shondaland in particular is that um, you were doing a ton of network shows, right? Right. And then quite famously, you kind of have made a transition into a big Netflix deal. Yeah. How much can you tell us about that? I mean, there's been a lot. I think there's been a lot said about it, actually, out in the world. Uh, I but think... in case our li- listeners aren't reading the trades, what's the... Listen, out in variety. <laughs> um, uh, told you. Right. The idea was that, I, you know, Shonda and, and Betsy Beers, her mm-hmm. producing partner and partner in crime, and my other awesome boss, were uh, looking ahead to the next the next big thing of what would be the next big jump for them. I think they were at ABC 12 years, long time. Um, And so the Netflix opportunity came about and I was not privy to the very early stage details of that, obviously, but um, we made the transition two summers ago and it was as scandal was ending Mm -hmm. and we were kind of, we had our eyes open of like, Oh, in this format, you can literally, truly go ahead and find out whatever story you're in love with and want to tell. Mm-hmm. And there is a wait, format. Wait, wait, format of Scandal or a format of Netflix? At Netflix, there okay. is, uh, it's a home for all kinds of storytelling, right? right? So suddenly it's like not just one hour drama. Sure, not just an, ABC. Mini series. Yeah, yeah. Right. And we, I mean, honestly, like we... I, I think we became very known for one certain kind of show mm-hmm. at ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, strong, messy, complicated female heroines. Highly rated. That's right. Highly Successful. rated. Yeah, yeah. Um, shocking, emotional, take you on the roller coaster, serialized procedurals. Like it was a, a very specific brand. And then it kind of all got blown open with the idea of the Netflix deal mm-hmm. and the idea of like that was one part of us and the DNA of those shows is still very much a part of everything we do. Mm-hmm. But now in this new world, there's going to be an opportunity to do all kinds of things. One of the first projects we announced and got excited about was a feature length documentary. Right. I was going to say the unscripted part of your title is a little confusing, right? <laughs> sure. And I mean, there's worlds in which we may explore doing traditionally unscripted shows and doc series too mm-hmm. down the line. But um, it's been really interesting kind of s- seeing how the brand has evolved. And I think when we announced our initial slate this past, I think it was like June or July, it was really interesting to get people's reactions. Mm-hmm. Is the documentary um, like how to really get away with murder? Because exactly. I am interested. We in murder people <laughs> and then see if we can get away yeah, with right. it. Uh, it's, it's about co- the... It's a reality <laughs> competition show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Kind of some... Some comedy. Yeah. (laughs) It's very noisy. Um, It is, yeah, it's it's called The Hot Chocolate Nutcracker. And it is kind of focusing on Debbie Allen's take on the Nutcracker that she has been consistently doing for going on 10 years now. Um, And it's a look at what it is to be a dancer through that lens. Interesting. Which, again, I don't know if anyone would have been like, scandal, hot chocolate Nutcracker. Right. But 
it was a great, it, all of these projects have been a great way to expand people's ideas of like, what does the Shondaland brand mean? Right. But can you also just like fudge it a little and be like, it's about strong women, right? Well, and it's so and, funny because that, you hear that a lot now. And I'm a real sucker for a strong woman. But I think the stuff that interests us about our female characters are, it always goes so far beyond that because in a weird way, it's so one note to just be like, oh, look how strong that person sure. is. Right, right. right? I, I didn't mean that in terms of like, that's what it's about. And just more in like how you rationalize that why Shondaland should make this thing. Yes. Like in the same way, like Matt and I, you know, pitch on commercials a lot. And I'm always like, I have a kid. I could do this commercial about families or I drive a car. I could do a car commercial. <laughs> you know, like you always find that. You have to that, like that logical end. next yeah, yeah, step end, exactly. to lead you to yes. what you want to make. No. And there's like, there is a very specific, um, as I said, a DNA to like what we do, right? Mm-hmm. It is about what, what is the experience of being a woman in all its shades mm-hmm. in the world? Uh, you know, we tend to focus our stories on the families you make, the mm-hmm. the workplace fa- families, the friend families, the families you'd never be a family with, but for the fact you guys murdered someone together. Right. You know, that right. kind of family. Mm-hmm. Sure, of course. Um, it's you know about. I have two of those families. Confession. Oh, do they do they know about each other? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good. It's probably easier. It's cleaner yeah, to keep yeah, it all yeah, separate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like the stories you feel like you never see. That is what drives us. That's still the stuff that even in this new incarnation at Netflix, playing in some in a slightly different field, mm-hmm. still drives character-based storytelling we want to do, right. you know? Right. Cool. And you guys are, did you guys like buy Raleigh Studios or rent out like every soundstage there? Um, I don't know the details of that. I do know I live there now. <laughs> oh. I stare out at Paramount where I where it all began at the window of my office. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in a building in Raleigh, uh, in, in Raleigh Studios. You... Did you, did you go to film school or what's your background? Yeah. So I was at Georgetown University undergrad and went there very Tracy Flick. Like, oh, I can't wait to take all the government classes mm-hmm. and run for office oh, and be a high powered yeah. lobbyist. I just wanted power, guys. Yeah, yeah. And then I got into those classes and realized everyone else was even scarier than I was. And I was oh, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I can't. I can't do this. And I happened to take. Wait, you can study lobbying? I thought you have to be like, yeah, have but... all these positions and then you become a lobbyist. No? I don't know. I knew a lot. I felt like it it became as common as like getting a job in consulting. You wound up going to work for lobbying firms. I don't know where you start out on that, that sexy ladder. (laughs) lobbying. You're not whispering to senators like on day one. (laughs) I hope it's by day four though. That's very intriguing. Yeah. That's a Shondaland show. Just whispering at senators. Um, getting, getting your power play moves (laughs) in DC. Uh, I, I actually, that was a, big part of the fun of working on scandal too is oh, sure you know two paths in a wood man yeah, yeah. I, I definitely wanted to be a part of the dc yeah, yeah. scene for a while but i wound up being it there at the same time as some really exceptional people some of whom were all mentored by this one professor john glavin and it was like jonah nolan was like a senior when i was mm-hmm. a freshman and had this guy and would come back and talk to us uh right around the time memento mm-hmm. uh was out uh mike berbiglia nick kroll john mulaney um, Wait, and they all went to school with you? Yeah, they were like a couple years older, a couple yeah, years yeah. younger, and like, and, and also those guys like just out of the gate were crushing, right? Like, oh, like they, what, were yeah. they creative writing majors? What, what did they probably do? like English and that religion? I mean, like okay. there but was like, just campus famous pre- immediately, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and particularly there was GPIG, the Georgetown Players Improv Group, which has since changed its name, but it was like <laughs> at one point I think the lineup was like. Berbiglia, Mulaney, Nick Kroll, and Jacqueline Novak. So it was like, what a... 
This yeah. is Stellar. I found like an yeah. old pamphlet once cleaning yeah. out as I was moving. And I was like, this is crazy that this is all at the same time. And I think and then there were also like the filmmakers like Mike Cahill, uh, Zalbut Mongoch was my year. Uh, Britt Marling was a little younger than I was. So it was this group of people who like dared to dream and be like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. maybe just maybe there is a career right. for us in this. It's not the craziest idea that you would go to Georgetown, but wind up in that field. Right. How infectious too, right? Yeah. Like it's just gotta be magic is in the air for that. A hundred percent. And wait, Look, but so is it, is not, is it not a giant school, Georgetown? No, I, it's not. I mean, it's, I would say it's mid-sized. So it's right? not like UCLA or USC. No. Well, maybe I would say USC is a fair comp. I don't know. I think we had like 6,000 undergrad. Oh, that's but there's also, it's like, you know, if you, narrow it down to the people who are interested in the creative arts oh yeah let's be all real all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> not it's a, a lot it's of a us niche. Yeah. yeah well right but i'm asking because i mean i was a computer science and engineering major and at ucla and i didn't know anyone in any i didn't know what comedians or improvisers and stuff were on campus sure yeah so how did you from being like studying politics get yeah this is a good question improv? i also very early on realized i wanted to be a part of the closed circuit georgetown university television a lot of eyeballs on that <laughs> let me tell you oh, that's cool. I ran Trojan Vision. I okay, get you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I was like, I can be a star in this very small pond. Um, but I immediately signed up. Doing political shows? No, or no? doing like Dawson's Creek live recap shows. Oh, like fun. Dawson's Creek mm. would air. And oh, then man. you could tur- tune in. Talking Creek? Yeah, what was it? Uh, not Dawson's Eek, although that was a joke on my name. But I think it was G Talk Live was the show. Uh-huh. And it was some weird hybrid of like I mean, an 80s Donahue meets like a call-in yeah, show yeah. meets you name it. We Dawson's, were, Dawson's we Speak. <laughs> Is that available? Can I get Ooh, in my time boy. machine and yeah. use that? Um, and literally people would just, I would host that one. Um, my friends Aaron Polke and Brian Walsh would host other ones. But you could call in and like have a real conversation about what da- went down on the creek that mm-hmm. episode, you know. Yeah. Um, so we do that kind of stuff. Mike Cahill starred in and co-wrote and produced this uh, a sitcom called The Wanderer. Uh-huh. I wish I had it on tape somewhere. Sure. It was... Wait, did it Mike was, Cahill, is he the OA? He, he, yeah, uh, he's another Earth. Zal and Britt okay. are the OA. Okay. Um, so let me take it. Let me bring it down a notch, guys. 9-11 happens in my senior year. I basically fully freeze up. All I do is eat Oreos in my basement and watch CNN. I think we're all going to, I mean, we're in DC. Mm-hmm. My best friends right. in New York. We're like, right. okay. And so I, I put everything on pause, all those aspirations. I've been taking screenwriting classes and playwriting classes and doing GUTV and stuff. And I knew I wanted to go to film school, but I just kind of hit stop. And I did the safe thing. And I stayed in the, uh, in a job kind of running SAT prep company courses Ooh, for like for Kaplan by any chance no it's a very small one capital educators mm. um we taught at the school Brett Kavanaugh matriculated from <laughs> I'll give you a little an idea yeah, yeah. the oh, clientele cool. sometimes we got copy that yeah um but yeah so basically I did that for a year and then did my applications and wound up getting into UT Austin mm-hmm. um awesome. and I was like when am I gonna live in Texas again probably like I'll probably live in New York I'll probably live in LA I will most definitely sure. not ever just strike out for Texas. And I'm so glad I went. It was one of the best yeah. decisions I ever made. And I did a three-year... And that year, was a film program? Yeah, three-year MFA screenwriting. Like, it was I, when I went, it was an MA and became an MFA. And for oh, those wow. of you listening, the difference essentially is MFA becomes like a final degree. You can teach with it. Right. 
Um, so significantly, I mean, better, helpful, right? Like totally. It, at least it like makes your parents feel a little bit. Oh better. yeah, or yeah. you, know, or you, you. Sure. you're like, oh, I might work someday. Right. Feels um, good to put the F in. That's MFA. <laughs> the motherfucking arts. That's. <laughs> yeah. uh, I basically was like, this is so. This is a real plan. Um, but I, the reason I really wanted to go to grad school is I saw what the classes, I, the actual like studying, the doing the hard work at Georgetown, gave me. And I was like, imagine if I have two or three years to devote to those kind of classes exclusively. Mm-hmm. And it's a state school. I was getting a fellowship. I'm like, I can maybe afford the. Let's just take the leap and do it. But I don't recommend graduate film school to everyone. Blanket statement. Mm-hmm. Like, not by a long shot. Why wouldn't you recommend it? Um, I think a lot of depends on what your base level of knowledge and resources already is when you finish college. I think going to an undergraduate program at some place like USC mm-hmm. or NYU or Florida State where you've made short films and you've worked with teams and you've made contacts because a lot of film schools just at least the graduate level, yes, there's the instructional work, but it's really time to create projects and meeting people that you will kind of grow right. up with as a class, right. right? And have those connections. And do you find that you're still connected to your UT class? Totally. Yeah. I see I see a lot of them on a regular basis. Not all have stayed in the industry, but a lot of them have. And in particular, uh, my fellowship was funded by the Missioner Center, which is like an exceptional writer's workshop mm-hmm. uh, where you get paid to go to school. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. What a novel concept. Don't yeah. worry, I wasn't in that. They just <laughs> threw some money at me to go to RTF, radio, television, film. But I got to meet all the missioner kids through that. Yeah. And those are a lot of the the people I stayed really bonded with. And a lot of them have wound up in television and film, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I did do the traditional like film grad school. I was a script supervisor on Friends Films to see how it worked, which is what like a lot of writing students would do. I tried really hard to continue to bridge the gap between like the script. I've never heard that before. The, yeah. What a great idea. Wait, really? That, yeah, we've yeah. never heard that. Oh, we've only so done 155 episodes. So. <laughs> well, no one tells you the secret of being a script supervisor is you just hang out with the director the entire time. Yeah, and you have such a tight nest. bond. Yeah. Yes. You see every decision. They depend on you in a way that's really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You stay focused and present in a way that keeps you open to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like I worked on a short that went to Sundance, Maryoon and the Flying Headscarf uh, mm-hmm. from like 2005. Incredible. Yeah. And it, it, I never, I, I had no other marketable skills to be on a film set. Right. But and then I acted like, and said, uh, I write. So yes. there you go. That's so uh, this has the word script in it. Sure. Surely we can parlay this into something, but it's a great opportunity. And you are a supervisor, <laughs> regardless of what type. Thank you. Um, did you find it also satisfying, even if you were working on something that wasn't Totally. Because you would just have fun with, I mean, like, mm-hmm. and it's so funny. This is what I always say. Being a producer on a student film, I don't know if this has been covered as well. It's like, can you get free pizza? Right. So it's, right. you know, can you can you generate free food? But learning kind of... Watching all these people pull together something out of thin air, no matter what the outcome. I co-wrote uh, shorts that were then with a director, a friend of mine, um, who's now out here, too. And, yeah, I would I say that every piece of it came out exactly as I imagined, or I'm a genius writer, and it was, right. no, but it was, that's a learning experience in and of itself. That's what film school is for. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting out there and doing it. And then I literally, I graduated 06, moved back to New York for two hot seconds because my best friend was finishing Columbia Mm -hmm. MFA film school. And then she and her boyfriend and I and all of his friends, like big group of people just migrated here Mm -hmm. from like October of 07 or 06 to January 07. Cool. Well, let me jump back to a little closer to present, but on the same note. No, let me take, I'm going to step it out. (laughs) Let's do year by year. Um, (laughs) 
Okay, so what? assistant job. Oh, well, yeah. marketing was first, right? And yes. Then, no, then yeah. <laughs> went back home for two months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, to the Jersey Shore. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious. So you went to film. I mean, obviously you have a pretty impressive film pedigree and all these friends of yours, you know, from Georgetown and your other friend from Columbia. Uh, now you're in a position where you are getting shows made from a lot of different people. What percentage of the people, the creative people you think you work with went to film school? You know, a lot of the people we've created shows with, I don't know that they have. Interesting. Yeah. Um, come, you know, somebody who comes to mind right away, Paul William Davies, the exceptional creator of For the People. Mm-hmm. He was had a life as a lawyer yeah. um, before transitioning to writing. Um, and he did both for a very long time, too. And um, it you- makes sense. I do know he did it for quite a few years. That's why I try to encourage people that mm-hmm. it's not... There's no, I always say this, there's no shame in being a 30 a something assistant or making that jump because everyone, it, there's no like set timeline out here. Right. There's right. no rule. Right. That's really great advice too, because I feel like it's easy to look at other assistants or people in the mail room and like, you know, it's a hard, those are hard jobs. They're long hours and like, there are a lot of young people in those positions. So it's easy to Hollywood is filled with like pitfalls of like comparing yourself to other people that are always going to cause problems for you. But it's especially easy to do that. I answered Um, phones until six years ago. Yeah. There you go. I mean, that's just the truth of it. Right. Right, But yeah, I guess even like, I'm, I'm curious, like UT, UTA, (laughs) you're not, you're not, not real old old guys. Uh, Even like at UTA or UT Austin, (laughs) (laughs) not the agency. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm curious, like, were there people, was there anyone in their 40s, like, in your graduate program? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, too, in the, like, the um, kind of film theory program, Mm -hmm. there would be people who were later in life, too. But absolutely. You would, especially international students who would come over in their 30s and 40s to begin a program, changing career, changing the country they lived in. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say much older than probably, like, 40, but I would say there was a range up to that at school. Right. Yeah. So I just, I feel like some of our listeners might be listening and they're like, wow, she, from day one, she knew what she was wanted to do. And she was hanging out with these celebrity, you know, people oh, yeah, that end from up day being one. celebrities. And here I am, a, a TV writer. Wait a minute. I'm not a writer. Right. Yeah, like, that's, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, I made a change too. I hear a lot of pivoting in this story. Actually, oh, big time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think what I realized when I moved out here is I would, I had a job that was like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. It was, it just required a lot of focus and energy and I was not writing all the time on my off time. And I met people who would get up at 6 a.m. before their job in print journalism just to write their passion project. And I'm like, I guess that's not me. And what I realized I love is just working with writers and, yeah. you know, the bigger picture story stuff, right? Yeah. I was going to joke, actually, the trick to waking up extra early is to hate your job. <laughs> I is was that actually, proven? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I was in development at Comedy Central and really, I was like, oh, oh this yeah. is somebody else's job, dream job. I don't really like it. Yep. Uh, and I would wake up extra early and write. And I know some writers who would make the world's best development execs because oh, they yeah. can just look at something and instant yeah. boil it down to what needs to be fixed or worked on or why it would or would not work. But the dating woe I used to have out here was like, oh my God, every guy in LA is just like, look, I got to get my career settled before sure. I can date anyone, man. And in a weird way, I 
got it because the stakes are so high. You're giving up so much and people feel like you have to apply a laser focus and like really be in it to win it and really love what you're doing to make it work. Yeah. And it's kind of true. Well, (laughs) it it is true. And it's also like a double-edged sword because I don't, I don't think there's a coincidence that a lot of the people that you're developing and creating shows with Mm -hmm. have life experience outside of what we're doing. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. We haven't talked about it on the show in a long time, but I feel like one of my big messages, uh, for lack of a better word, is that you don't have to like put off the rest of your life to have a career in Hollywood. Cause I, I mean, I think we all like every 25 year old right. guy and girl here in LA is like, yeah, I'm, I got to get mm-hmm. my, sell my first big script before I can right. date anyone or mar- sure. get married or settle down. But then you realize like those people that you do date or marry or whatever, yeah are there for you even like in the pit, like in the, at your lows and you need that. Like, I mean, well, Matt's been married since what, 12? 1945. <laughs> yeah. um, Many happy returns. That's great. That's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a solid gold relationship. <laughs> yeah, right. But like a, if you have someone that supports you, especially if you're yeah. happen to be with someone that's also in like the arts, it's like you have someone for you when you're down. But, it, you know, so I don't know. My thing is if you are like a 22-year-old person that if just you're moved listening to, LA, to this, yeah. yeah and are like putting off relationships because you're worried about your writing time. Then but if it, hey, it's also it. still a great blow off line. Look at sure. me. I'm sitting here pretty just being like, they no, just needed time for their fine. art, guys. Tortured artist. <laughs> I can't wait to see your name on the big screen. <gasps> yeah. Christopher Nolan. Um. <laughs> um, well, so, okay. So now, so you transition from writing to development. Yeah. And now you get shows made. Is that- yeah, and it's funny. A lot we've developed with a lot of writers who have come up on our shows mm-hmm. at, you know, on staff. Sure. Right. Which it's so funny because pe- I feel like, especially right now in this moment, there's so many content creators and so much television, and people are looking to the fresh voiced, mm-hmm. you know, executive story editor, co producer level person more so to create the next thing as opposed to back in the day. And I talk about these levels which are kind of confusing in and of themselves. But for those listening at home on a writing staff, right, you start at staff writer and then it goes story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, supervising producer, co-EP, EP. And sometimes that when you're really high level, you just do consulting. And I think for a long time, no people were very hesitant to give a show to anyone who had not at least hit that supervising producer mm-hmm. co-EP mark. Now, sort Wait, of by, a, by give a show, you mean like buy a pitch from yes, them or develop, them put a, a show on the air, be like this person's going. Yeah. Or bring a book to them to develop. I see more and more people going to lower or mid-level writers mm-hmm. with exciting voices to like develop. Pretty new people is what you're yes. saying. Yes. Yeah. Again, people who've maybe been in a writing staff twice, maybe yeah. for like a few years. And um, that's really empowering and awesome. And it's how you fix a a major pipeline problem we have in this town in terms of getting different fresh voices in. Mm -hmm. But I always say to people like, I, I, I wouldn't wish being a showrunner on my worst enemy sometimes because really having a show that is yours on the air is a tremendous amount of juggling and work and emotional stress and like, just it's so nonstop and I don't think anyone can understand till they're in it and having watched people go through years on our shows and then get those opportunities I'm like I want everyone to be able to have that preparedness because you it it's sure. crazy yeah you have to get higher up to really understand <sighs> yes and you could be and, paired and, with somebody great sure, and that works out a lot but there there are a lot of variables in that too in that partnership 
Um, have you ever bought a show from someone that's not ever been on any writing staff? We have. Um, so we made a comedy for ABC um, that was a hybrid multicam in the style of How I Met Your Mother called mm-hmm. Toast. Oh, and what was hybrid about it? So it was basically, the, hybrid um, just means it was uh, looked like it was all filmed in front of a live studio audience, but parts were taped. Mm-hmm. And the concept was you're with the bride and groom, it's the rehearsal dinner, and uh, the messy, drunk, you know, maid of honor gets up to give us toast. And she's telling one story, but you're flashing back to what really happened. Right. And over the course of the season, both through the flashbacks, you're getting to realize, like, what is the story of this couple? What are the different perspectives mm-hmm. their friends and family have? And in the present day storyline, you're like, are these guys going to even get married tomorrow? Is right. the damage going right. to be too much? And then the idea was every season would be a different huge life event. The baby shower, the retirement party, the funeral, whatever. It says each episode a different speech. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Like one of those rehearsal dinners that gets out of control where everyone's like, no, 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 give me the mic. I got something to say and just <laughs> yeah. goes on for three hours, yeah, yeah. which can right. be joyous and amazing. Like and that from bridesmaids. Oh, yeah. Where they're just talking. For just like an grab hour. the mic back. Can I grab the mic back? <laughs> yeah. um, but that was based on an idea Scott Foley and Greg Grunberg had mm-hmm. years ago on the set of Felicity. And Scott Foley was just an actor at the time. Or... Yes. And well, and had done some directing, too. He's a great director. And um, he came in and he was like, I'm going to write this. And we sold it to ABC. And he wrote it and we paired him with an established guy who had done this before, a great guy, Greg Mettler. And we taped the pilot. It did not ultimately go to series. Mm -hmm. Um, And look, that's the example of the famous actor from one of our shows. But for every one of those, there are also, we're developing a half hour with an amazing improv comedian, actress, who wrote an amazing spec and had a pretty fleshed out Bible. And we are moving that forward to series at Netflix. So, And how did she get to you? She, I'm going to curse. Are you guys ready for this? No, I'm ready. Hold on. Tell um, me when you're done cursing. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Cover my ears. Kids and dogs out of the room. Yeah. Uh, she was, it was a, just a sample brought to me. Um, her name's Jill Alexander. And oh, it, yes. Uh, well, you know her. Yeah, she has the same commercial agent as my wife. <laughs> she's she's in a lot Redhead. of amazing commercials. Yeah. Yes, now blonde. She lives, oh, I've seen, seen her I, all yeah, around. Yeah, she's around. Yeah. Um, my wife's an actor and a redhead. So. Oh, yeah, she's the other one. But she's on Silicon Valley, too. <laughs> yes, yes she is. exactly. Yeah. She's got as a the great long-suffering look. assistant, Patrice. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I'd read a, a piece of hers that I also really wanted to make called Type Pussy, which is, uh, I know, that title, huh? Sure. Pretty She about does a, not uh, hold back. Greedy cat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> stingy feline <laughs> yeah. saying about um, noisy pilots yeah it was noisy yeah. and it was it really hit all my sweet spots i live across from like an exclusive daycare in silver mm-hmm. lake called mm-hmm. camelot kids yeah sure yeah did not even try to get <laughs> it's like run by an australian supermodel um really and it was that was part of the setting of the show and the other part was like about a band like l7 or Brook assault who broke up years ago over a guy but now their kids are in nursery school together and oh my God, holy shit, should we tour? And also we're now in our forties and like, what does it all mean? And like, sure, sure. what is it to be, you know, like the idea of how you behaved back then. And right. Right. Cause also I'm not going to lie. There was a year where all I saw were nineties reunions, whether it was like breeders, Ted Leo, mm-hmm. Sebado, like any, uh, what NKO was it? TV? That dog. Oh, NKOTB. Yeah. Step by They're step. They're touring right now. Are they seriously? <laughs> yeah. I, I saw them on the album. Jenny McCarthy New Year's Eve shit show. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> <boy. Yes. laughs> I was like, this wow. is, it is raining in your, in Times Square and all bets are off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, I just, it hit all my sweets. I was like, I love this person. I love their voice. And then the next, um, spectra it was Sunshine Scouts, which is the one we're making. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. cool. So and you, so, so in between, though, is mm-hmm. it, was it like, oh, I love this. We can't make this. And mm-hmm. then she sent you the next thing. Yes. Yeah. Because that's an important lesson as well, right? Yep. Um, because it would be easy to be like, eh, it's also not that a, me. It's know? one of the like classic, and Jill's an amazing writer, and it's that classic thing of like, don't make the, when you're really going all out and you're like, here is the script that I'm is going to be my calling card. This is my take it or leave it. This is me. Welcome to it. I think Carrie had spoken to this on her episode, but it's like, do not write the safe thing. Do not write the thing you think mm-hmm. will sell. Right. Because that's, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And what if she would have sent a script that wasn't good first? And oh then sent God. and then sent tight cat. Can I tell you <laughs> what what makes you uncomfortable with that p word? Uh, the thing I think about this a lot because I will read a script by somebody and just feel like either it's a little green or I don't know exactly what to do with it. I I hate I'm one of those people who hate to just have a general meeting with somebody and not know any kind of idea of what I might do with them. It feels like a a waste of time for both of us because I want to bring you in when I know I can also then champion you in a month or two for a specific staffing thing or a piece of development. Um, But sometimes I'll just be so obsessed with the sample. I'll be like, I don't know what to do. We get in here. We got to meet. But I do always say when I read something I don't love the first time, I say, look, good writer. This is not the one for us. Happy to read a second because you never know. You just, right. you just never know if, right. if that person was writing something their manager told them to write or uh, that like was something really close to and personal to them, which is an, a, such a, hard, a great thing, but also sometimes can be a really hard undoing mm-hmm. in your first sample to write that super personal thing. Right, right. right. Your smilf. Yeah. And so I, that's why I'm always like, you know, much to the detriment of like goodbye time. I'll always read that second thing. Right. Cool. Well. Um, Good on you. you <laughs> or I'll yeah. have an amazing person on my team at least start it sure. and tell me yeah. it's not all so bad. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do worry. You, so, so, okay, so you meet with writers mm-hmm. that have seem to have potential. Do you ever meet, do you ever see like a short film or meet with oh, directors or absolutely. anything like that? Absolutely, yeah. Because, and it's interesting because um, a lot of the times if you have a short film that again is that like, here's my stamp on the industry, here's what I want in my voice it can sometimes be easier for me to get excited to try to sell you at least for like an episodic slot Mm -hmm. than if you have done two episodes of a show I have never seen on like BET or Lifetime or like that that sometimes is a more power. Or Go90. What if you've done 12 episodes (laughs) on Go90? Well, if you have 12 uh, episodes from Go90, the beauty is you can just send it to me and I can watch that. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, they directed an episode of NCIS New Orleans two years ago. I don't know. I'll never, you know, or I'll watch it and I'll be like, this is really well done, but it doesn't speak to what I need for my show right now. But um, sometimes when a great short's just a great short, you're like, get in here. We'll figure it out. Right, right. Especially, I mean, I think there's something nice about it being wholly digestible as well. Yes. Right? Like, we were joking. We both have Go90 series. You're not going to watch all eight or 12 episodes of our series. Yeah, that would like be 120 insane. minutes right, yeah. worth of... You don't yeah. know? With the same credit sequence. I'll never <laughs> the same forget. same four-minute credit sequence. I'll never forget when somebody sent me high maintenance on Vimeo. I watched every single... You mean single the best web show of all time? Listen, that whole thing? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's on HBO. I remember telling every agent I knew, I'm like, you've got to sign yeah. these people. And they're yeah. like, what? Uh? I, uh, yeah. I, I genuinely always ask when people bring up high maintenance, what your second favorite web show is. Uh, that would be the, oh my God, why, uh, Burning, Burning Love. Oh, oh, sure. oh, Burning Love. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. What's your you second favorite? You know, the one favorite? full of famous Matt? people. Drunk History? <laughs> Broad City? Yeah. 
Shows I didn't watch, but Actually, I know were Actually, I have one, first. too, that um, was a little-known one that we loved so much we wound up developing with both of the creators, um, Alan, Rachel, and Patrick Carlyle's uh, uh, Couple Time. I do know that show. Tiny little moments and snippets of the yeah, weird like shit couples New, do when New no York one's watching. Show, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. so off of that, um, we wound up developing a show when I was at Ellen's company with them for Fox. Oh, wow. So that, cool. I, that would be up there in my top three for sure. My line of questioning now is mining your knowledge for how our listeners could eventually sell a show sure. to Shondaland. So how, how do you find these short Or you don't listen to the show. Well, I am a I am like the proto, stereotypical listener of the show, and I and Inquiring I minds want to know sometimes accidentally. Like I subscribe to our show for the for the numbers to, to double the listenership, um, and I uh, sometimes accidentally it starts playing on my iPhone because I listen to a lot of podcasts. Good, good. Anyway, sorry. How do you? Um, I um well yeah to answer your question, if you are um, out there in the world, kind of outside the Hollywood loop or even inside the Hollywood loop, but don't have the agent or the manager or the representation. Um, I do think there, there is, this is the beauty of web series, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, I, you guys would know even more than I would probably how, how best to get traffic to the content you make, because I'm sure there is great content out there that does not necessarily get dug up and discovered. Um, I think for us, and in terms of our bandwidth and our slate at Netflix, um, I'm going to be incredibly real and just say, yeah. A, we're not allowed to like get material in from people who are not being brought in sure, by sure. agents and lawyers and managers and things like that. But also, um, I think the closest thing to kind of finding someone where it might be the bones of a show, mm-hmm. even if it was not the traditional way I found them, is actually kind of stand up improv UCB like somebody kind of making very clear they have a voice and identity and a story that could become something bigger that might be one regardless of if you know you have reps if you're out there telling your telling your story to storytellers right. event around the moth radio hour yes that's and that's just a me thing um because for me it really starts with the story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's in a form of a short but if I'm not getting to every film festival or if I'm not you know Right. like searching and, the and web you, you're not right like no one can make it no, every not time. with the volume of work now especially some of the younger since people, you have a million other things going on at the same time well and the i mean i'm head of fiction and nonfiction. you guys right it's not just reality heavy it's, heavy is the head it's yeah <laughs> surreality that's right now i do have amazing young awesome millennials throughout my office sure, sure. on my team outside of my team they're watching constantly six things at once. Yeah. oh yeah and they're so just you don't mind these, working with millennials you're totally I cool with that them. I love them. These young people are great about these young people. I sound 70. Um, they are great about making sure uh, we use Slack, mm-hmm. which is a great secure. That's not my unpaid endorsement, by the way. So that doesn't count. But it is a great way to share information with each other. And we have whole channels that are just like for very specific mm-hmm. share this great thing you saw or a totally random funny thing you saw. It's a lot of how we discover right. that pulse. If you're really talking about like, oh, I'm going to go out of my way and hunt someone down to develop something around their work, it usually is more a human mm-hmm. telling a story um, through writing or through performance. Right. right. And I what, I, what I, sorry, what I'm hearing is because we were talking a little bit before with Carrie about access, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I think the thing that we're really honing in on is visibility, right? So you're saying whether it's 
you know, something where like something is getting buzz online or you're seeing them on stage, right? Yep. It's about putting yourself out there. And I have often, often lamented about how like as a comedy person, I'm always jealous of the writers who were also doing improv yes. or stand-up because it's you see, you know, a set that they did or or a clip online or something like that. And it's so easy to go, oh, I love that person's voice. They're so funny. Yep. I see their face. I know their name. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna think of them when I'm staffing. Yeah. Right. You're Twitter. Saying I mean perf- the Twitter phenomenon. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Megan Amran. Like, Jen Statsky. All, like, yeah. There's so many people who and I, you know, I'm not of the mind that it's like, no, 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 don't even bother trying to be a staff writer at a comedy show. You get discovered on Twitter or you don't. I don't think that's true either. I think sure. it's a lot about relationships. And like, I'm, that's that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that I don't know that people always fully understand is the way to eventually staff on a show and then develop your material with a company is to start as a writer's PA and sure. or a set PA and work your way up. The hardest job yeah. to get in Hollywood. I know. Yeah, no, yeah. people, yeah, yeah, I think people... They're, know they're that cleaning. the writer's mm-hmm. assistant that 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 you have to but know someone to get that job. Not writer's assistant. I'm talking like I've my assistant um, from a few years back, who's now our director of content, Marco. He, I mean, he was a set PA on Scandal. Awesome. And I do feel badly for anyone who has like true social anxiety in this town because, like you said, you always have to go to the the rap party. It, so much of it is meeting people and forming relationships. I mean, right. I'll never forget being Just an assistant. Just have three to, drinks. Yes. Then go a, talk to the EP. Listen, or just the, when I was an assistant, they'd be like, you know about drinks, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've had them. And they're like, no, no, no. It's a thing. You got to do it. <laughs> yeah. You have to like set drinks with other assistants who seem like they're real sharp characters. Yeah, yeah. And the ones you kinda, like, the ones you want. Yes. Wanna, yeah. And you form those relationships. And I swear to God, it is. I mean, when they say Hollywood's, you know, who you know, that sounds shitty in some ways, but it is just who you have a relationships with, who you've been in the trenches with. Right. We had an episode where it's basically me asking Matt, like, what drinks is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as an intern being like, what is drinks? What are yeah. you talking about? Um, and I was interning for like a real mm-hmm. schmoozy producer. Ooh. I don't think I ended up making much. But well, he had that. It was, he was enjoying the the uh, lot gig. Basically, <laughs> he was just like he just gotten his his deal set up and was like in New York half the time. Oh sure, yeah, that's what you do. Well, I feel like a lot of our show is about and questions we get a lot about are like the gatekeepers, you know, oh, of know. Hollywood. And I obviously, I think I think we kind of think of it as a dirty word because it seems like some random person is just deciding whether they like you or not, like right. a bouncer at a you know club, right. <laughs> Um, that they look at you and decide if you let get let in or not. But it really, I mean, that that's why I'm asking all these questions. Like if your short film is a Vimeo yeah. staff pick, mm-hmm. what are the odds that someone like you would see it and call them? In? Um, and so, but I think kind of what we're getting from you is obviously there's no one way, but just like I write, do tell, put yes. yourself out there, make things. I got to say, be here. Mm-hmm. Like there is be a here in LA. Yes. Especially for the TV. I mean, I, yeah. I left Austin and let me be real. I left it. I, I left right before Friday night lights, the series mm-hmm. picked up production mm-hmm. and I'll never forget someone saying, you know, Allison, they're making a series based on that movie, Friday night lights. You should stick around and like try to work. And I'm like, nah, man, I got bigger things. Come yeah. here, New York. Come here, yeah, LA. Yeah. You were leaving Austin when it was good. Too. Um, I know. So like small still yeah. and, and, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time, no big deal, opportunity yeah. missed. But for some reason, I was just like, if I don't go now, I'll get so comfortable here and I'll never leave. And and I knew that, and hey, I had a detour in New York, which was not the answer ultimately either. Right. But I do tell people this, especially like when I talk to students at Georgetown or UT who reach out about alumni stuff, I'm like, 
just take a fr- get a friend and take the plunge. Mm-hmm. You won't have a job when you first get here. It's terrifying. But it is the the only way to kind of be here for the opportunities. Right. Well, right. and we were talking before about how, you know, you have to kind of plug into a few different social avenues, yes. right? Like yeah. You, like you go to different, to barbecues and mm-hmm. events and like. Kickball leagues. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, like the ra- totally yeah, random bar things. Bar trivia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I asked this, I think I've asked this probably of all our development people, but a lot of people in general, just to finish things up, what, what, when you are hearing a pitch for a show or seeing someone, what, like what, what, it makes it good and what makes it bad? I know it's a real vague, general open-ended question, but you've covered a lot of of what you like, but is there anything else that you can kind of, and I wish I knew what, I wish I knew whatever it all said, so I don't repeat to get, but I think, I think, okay. Uh, the kiss of death for a bad pitch, okay, is a cobbled together mosaic of things you've seen from other places, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that like the p- the pitches that are kind of more fear-based and thinking, well, I better reference things this person will understand or have characters that we all know as archetypes mm-hmm. or else it won't be clear. I think the more general it is, the more confusing it is usually, and the more specific you get when you pitch, and the more precise and the more unique and true to what you really see the vision being. Don't be afraid of it being weird or kind of tricky to wrap your head around. That's what I respond to. Because even if the first 20 minutes makes a lot of sense and you totally lose me in the last 10, I'm so riveted by that first 20 Mm -hmm. that I want to know more. And then we can get to the place of me asking you questions. I also think, you know length i've been in some yes i've been in some pitches where it's 40 minutes gone by of them talking and spittle is forming and they're (laughs) dying and i'm dying and i'm like i I just want this to be over for you (laughs) and it's not often but that i think you really do practice practice that shit like have a friend you trust sit down time it out do it again like it is an art it sucks that this is a part of life as a writer when it's so so antithetical to what you do it's a cruel Um, joke but mm -hmm. you know (laughs) Then that's the rule of the game, basically. Right? And the best pitches are when you've like made um, a 20 minute film to accompany them. Uh, <laughs> when you have like a PowerPoint. I, I think the best pitches are just the Wait, ones you're where... being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Just so. Oh, yes, to be clear. clear sorry. <laughs> I know my sarcasm does not travel as well uh, when you can't see my face. But I, I do think always what makes a great pitch is when you sit back and think, how am I going to tell this story? How am I going to get them excited? Think about what got you excited and what every time you tell your friend in passing about the pitch or mm-hmm. when you call your mom and tell her what you're working on or whatever, what's the thing you guys can't actually stop talking about? Like what thing at the core is that that kernel that makes everyone want to tell their stories too? That is a perfect pitch. It's the right. pitch where at the end, no one wants to leave the room because they're still telling stories and experiences. They're, they want you to know right. what that they've lived something like this. They want to ask questions. They can, uh, for the comedy version, like they're pitching jokes that work in the same universe. Yes, they can, envi- yeah, they can yeah. envision episodes of right. this half hour right. that reflect hilarious situations and awkward shit they've found themselves in. Because what you're getting at, even as specific and weird as your voice is and as, you, as your pitches, there's something really universal about the human experience, whether it's drama or comedy, that everyone or everyone like you know, you hear something, you're like, oh, I remember like a huge story about that. It's the thing that can't, people can't stop talking about. Mm -hmm. I know that's a little amorphous, but it's... No, no, it's it's super helpful. I mean, it sounds like, yeah, being relatable is helpful. Obviously, coming from a unique standpoint, I feel like I hear a lot of pitches that are just like, I use this word a lot, and I don't know if it's a common word, but like familiar, like I feel like I've heard something kind of like that or seen kind of like that. 
And um, that's what I mean when it's like, oh, it feels like ever a piece of something. Mm-hmm. Like when I leave a pitch and realize it feels like four or five things mashed up together, that kind of adds up to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to when I've heard something really unique and I'm not fully sure exactly what the tonal comparison is, but I, mm-hmm. there's something about it I absolutely love. It will beg another conversation. So do you like the, it's the rhythm of House of Cards, but with the mystery of, or the fantasy of Game of Thrones or something like? Um, I, I like those when they're really hilarious. I like them when When they inherently speak to the contradiction or the surprising nature of the show. Yes. I think that's really fun to think of two things you just would never think together, but that sort of makes sense. Like sex in the city with monks. Exactly. Like that kind of a thing. Although that's no sex in the city. I don't know. Do monks have sex? Sex in the the temple. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that's, I think that's when that's useful, especially in a comedy pitch. But a lot of times that is something, and I'm speaking as somebody who's on the producing end of things, that's something that as you and the producer that you're taking the pitch out with get specific about getting ready to go out to network buyers, you may you may change what you say depending sure. on which network yeah. you're pitching. Right. You may reference Insecure at HBO and Pen15 at Hulu. You may, you know, like you may have these very specific ways of being like, I know what You've made and I love, so let me tell you why this appeals to me as a place I belong. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. We talked a little bit about uh, with David Person about how the pitch is just the very beginning of the process for everyone. And yes. that you have to kind of sell it up the line. Mm-hmm. Tell right. us a little bit about your experience with that. You, you walk out of a room, you're like, I love this. Mm-hmm. You know, is the next step. Your immediate bosses? Yeah, I run to Betsy and Shonda. If I've heard something really, especially first Betsy too, because usually I'll bring that poor sucker back so Mm -hmm. she can hear it if she wasn't there in the room immediately. Um, And that's when we will go into Shonda and get so excited. And and look, I guess fundamentally that question you asked me about like what makes a good pitch, I leave that room and I know exactly what I'm going to say to Betsy and Shonda to tell them that this is something worth us pursuing. Mm -hmm. It's very crystallized in my mind. And in four sentences or less, I can be like, come on, have you ever heard anything like this? Doesn't that make you cry or laugh? Come on, this is amazing. I think that's a piece of it. Um, A lot of the times, though, I'm also just to kind of throw it out there again, it is the reading, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, it's not just pitches, especially for newer writers. It is more effective, at least for me, especially when I'm not just going to Netflix to make a pilot. It's it's series-based right. model. Yeah, yeah. You just have to jump Seeing, off the deep end, right? Yes. Yeah. I need to see that on the page. I need to trust you. I need to know that you've got this and a, that, that context and that level. And then that's really easy to run screaming like, I found this great script, tight right. pussy, which I definitely <laughs> right. did. Sure, sure. I think that there's something interesting to think about just in terms of context because we were talking about, um, you know, the ways uh, – you know, that you're a gatekeeper, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's interesting to think about the fact that you are kind of at the top of the game, right? Like Shondaland is, there's a knight. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? And so... Um, Thursdays, hashtag TGIT, <laughs> yeah, 8 to 11 p.m. on ABC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so to that end, I think that like the level of uh, the pedigree of the writers that are coming in um, is much more filtered than I think. They're, they're kind of like a entry level sort of world of like smaller cable shows and right, like, like the true TV show. Yeah, the... exactly. Uh, and so I think, do you ever find that you're staffing um, or or taking talent from these other kind of peripheral sort of um, smaller cable channels and things like that, or is it still just sort of like 
it's kind of the farm team, farm league of, of the other oh, shows. Oh, you mean like of the people we're developing with? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about the people who had not been in traditional staffing rooms before sure. those situations. Right. Then there's also just, look, there's really seasoned writers in other camps mm-hmm. that we love who we've been able to collaborate with, whether it's us bringing them the kernel of something or them bringing us like a passion project they feel like is uniquely suited for our brand and what we can bring to the table. Right, right. So that is, that's like, also a piece of it but yeah um i definitely you know whenever i find a show i love because i i think when you were primarily so much of what i do is drama in the workspace even though we are now doing half hour comedy and comedy drama but when i go home at night i want to watch comedy it's a different it is a different vibe or unscripted um sometimes i watch the shows my husband watches about people finding gold and creating moonshine and yes exactly. but yeah i go i love to watch those shows and when i do fall in love i'm looking at every writer on that list mm-hmm. interesting and because yeah. sometimes very specifically our one hours they need comedy voices in there mm-hmm. paul william davies from for the people i believe we found him off of a half hour script um okay my last question about pitching is love it how important is it to know like the pilot inside and out and like the seasonal arcs? Cause I feel like it's something that you hear a lot, like know how the season ends, know where your characters are going. I, it depends. I think the know where the season ends or sometimes the series journey mm-hmm. is a particularly cable and streaming, um, uh, right. I, you know, approach to things. Sure. Whereas in the broadcast model, it was very much more, um, when you would pitch, you would spend a lot of time, I would say, um, on the first act in detail, mm-hmm. really bring that person into the world as you see it. And then, you know, talk through some more, you know, broad strokes of like how the rest of it goes and then get into just like, who are these people at mm-hmm. the heart of this story? So the pilot's an important part and it does suck you in. But at some point, whether it's in the middle of the pilot where there's a natural break or when you're done with the pilot, you want to talk about the people because mm-hmm. that's what brings me back to a show time and time again. And I think you also want to talk about, so I'm just going to put my broadcast hat on for a minute. In broadcast, you really do have to think about like, what is the engine? Um, Especially if this is a show that you're saying could go like 15 to 22 episodes. So if it's not a procedural. You mean per season? Per season. Thank you. Um, yes, total, <laughs> you know, two episode seasons. Well, yeah. yeah, no, listen, I mean, Netflix has like five season shows that have like 16 episodes. Exactly. Um, so in the, yeah, on the broadcast side, it's, it's, you know, what doctors are we following every week? What kind of right. cases are we seeing? Or like, um, you know, in lost, there's a device you're going back in flashbacks to learn more about these people as you uncover the mystery in the present. It, it does, you do have to have a, some sense of that. And then way later down the road, if your pilot's made and it's brought in to be presented to the higher ups, they're going to need to understand like what is generally speaking, what are some of the big milestone moments in this first season? Mm-hmm. Where where kind of do you want to go? What are some examples of episodes you're dying to do? Right. It it does help. And what if you're pitching like a like The Office or Parks and Rec or um Friends, like a show that is not you can well, not I think so you, episodic. you're talking about sitcoms, right? So I think what's in, what's yeah, core so. is you want to talk about what the situation in the pilot is. Like 
the classic pilots are taxi, right? The whole idea of taxi is like magically the payphone where they work uh, is you can call anywhere for free. And so you learn about all your important characters by who they choose to call. And then it evolves into a storyline where a guy rushes to an airport to see his daughter before she goes to study abroad and it's moving. Um, Cheers, right? There is that premise to it of Mm -hmm. like, Diane, the outsider, she's just waiting for her fiance to get the ring he's going to propose to her with. And through that, through her being the newbie, she interacts with each of the people there to set up what the fun of the show is. So I think it's really important to understand, like, through what story or device Mm -hmm. that's not overly complicated with plot are we going to meet these people? Because, again, no one – it's so rare that people tune in for plot. Mm -hmm. Even when you talk about, like, Shondaland, TGIT, OMG moments – it's not just because somebody shoots somebody else or bludgeons mm-hmm. someone or escapes somewhere. It's because you're so worried for that person. Right. This is another thing I say in pitches. When you pitch a pilot, you should elicit in the person hearing like everything you're saying, emotions. They should be nervous for somebody. They should be worried. They should be rooting for something to happen or thinking they know what will happen and then you surprise them. Because that really, that's the core of it. And I think in those comedy pilots, you just want to know like, oh, what's the fun way we're going to meet all these people who are going to keep us coming back every single episode? And what fundamentally in terms of the character dynamics and relationships will continue to generate conflict and comedy, Mm -hmm. right? Like the office wouldn't be the office without Dwight and Jim or Jim and Pam, Right. Right. The office wouldn't be the office without Michael and everyone. (laughs) That's what you want to really make sure you nail home in that pitch. And those are the three beats of that office pilot, right? Yes, totally. And I haven't seen it in a lot. Actually, actually, I say yes so enthusiastically. I actually don't think I've seen it in a while. Remember, it's the one. It's It's really the the British one shot for shot. It basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the stapler and the jelly. Oh, right. Gareth. Yeah. 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 In the British one. Um, But yeah, that's what I always tell people like. If they remember nothing else about a sitcom pitch, they'll remember really specific characters who really don't get along or really do. Mm-hmm. That is all it is when you think about it. Right. Drama's more complicated. Yeah. Got to keep them on the edge of their seat. At that end of Act 1 and the end of the episode, they got to be like, wait, what? How what do that? you get away with murder? <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for I love coming. being on here. I hope yeah. it was helpful. And I, Wonderful. So great. <laughs> you know what? I think I've learned something on this podcast. Mm. I feel like, why am I not just kind of once in a while still checking out the funnier die or the, um, you know. Staff picks are the way to go. I Vimeo think. staff yeah. picks. I, yeah. Again, like I, I think that's somehow my friend who turned me on high maintenance found it. You know what else is worth checking out is short of the week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, short yeah. of the week is a little more. A little more narrative like oriented, curated yeah. in a oh, way I like that. that yeah. would be helpful to you. Like if you're looking for comedy, in a fun, you want to watch a fun comedy short or a relationship short, or a, they, they kind of organize them in a way that's good. Th- that's fantastic. But if you really want to see amazing work, uh, there's this website. It's called directedbyoren.com. I don't know. Oh, who, wait, hold on. Let me write that down. Yeah. Is that HTTP colon yeah. backslash backslash? Uh, it's, a, it's actually two front <laughs> slashes, but oh, most front people call them backslashes. <laughs> That's okay. It's the engineering. engineering. Oh, man. Uh, Is that Geocities? Yeah. Wait, unpaid endorsements. That's what we're doing next. Unpaid endorsements. I got one, actually. Mm -hmm. Oren, tell me if I've endorsed this one before. Inspired by our conversations. Have you guys ever seen the movie The TV Set? Oh, John Ritter. 
No. No. No, no I'm thinking that's of... click? <laughs> no, it's not click. <laughs> Snap. Snap. It's something uh, else like that, though. Yeah, where With he the... changes channels and he, like, goes into the yes. show. Wait, what's the... But oh, the click t- is the Adam Sandler one. Wait, yeah. we'll think of that. We'll come back to it. What's the TV set? The TV I have set heard it. is uh, Jake Kasdan. Okay. Uh, I think wrote and directed. It's basically like... I have to endorse this, but I'm going to stick to it anyway. No, never. Um... It's a movie feature. It was on Netflix for a long time that basically um, is about, you know, creating a TV show. Like actors are like testing for network and all this stuff. And it's basically about um, uh, David Duchovny playing Judd Apatow creating a TV show. Oh. It's like him and Justine Bateman are like kind of a couple. He's got back problems. Oh. And Jake Kasdan was like a baby writer on Freaks and Geeks kind of like during that whole thing. Oh. And it's like very like fly on the wall. Like there's network. Sigourney Weaver plays a network executive. In. Um, Sold. It's pretty great. It's pretty enjoyable. Is it available on Amazon Prime? What is, how do I, I get this? I, Netflix. I would be surprised if it's not on Amazon Prime. What's yeah. it called again? TV set? The TV set. Stay tuned. It's a John Renner movie. Oh, oh, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. That's I just it. remember him on a game, like spread eagle uh, attached to a game show wheel. Yeah, like, I can't get out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm stuck well, in the TV. Yeah, let's yeah. make a deal. <laughs> yeah. So that is the image of my brain. The TV set. The yes. TV set. Wait, where did you see it? I saw it on Netflix like years ago. Like right, and DVD Netflix will cycle through yeah, some. Yeah. I still do Netflix DVDs. No, so you really don't. Awesome. Get That's away from. Awesome. I Blu-ray? love it because if I really no, if I really want to see something, especially as a reference for something I'm working on right now, I yeah. love the idea that like okay, within two days I could have it in my yeah. mailbox. They yeah. still do it. Yes. Yes. And and there's always one that I watch right away, and one that sits on my coffee table sure. for seven yeah. months. <laughs> That's how I own. Someday Bridge I'll of watch Spies. Drive. Like, <laughs> I know I'm supposed to see Drive, and everybody loves it. I don't know why it's sitting there still. You know what? Tell me. It, tell I don't me know what if it do. holds if up on DVD years <laughs> later. Yeah, I but I loved true. it in the theater. I loved it in the theater. If uh, if your instinct is like you're not gonna watch it, skip it. Honestly, okay. Like it's pretty good. Okay. But like, it's so specific. Like if you watch the trailer and you're like, I want to see this. Right. Go for it. But like. The trailer is pretty indicative of it's just Ryan Excellent. Gosling like in cool lighting and like a great soundtrack. Maybe I do want to watch it. You know, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Is the every frame of painting video about Drive? Yeah, that's true. Do you know every that? frame of painting video? Yeah, there's oh. this guy Tony Zhu. He made this series on Vimeo called Every Frame of Painting, where he he's like the godfather of modern video essays. <laughs> yeah, about film, like film related. He did like videos. He'll do a video this about Fincher. Awesome. Why Fincher's coverage is more interesting than someone else's coverage. Why Jackie Chan movies have better action than uh, Chris Nolan films. You know? Oh. Um, Pretty great. Really, right? yeah. yeah. And really yeah. well done. It, yeah. Like exceptionally well done. Yeah. Like the Buster Keaton one. It's like amazing. So um, yeah. Like in his movies, they will like show a, a punch or something. Like when they cut from like one angle to another angle, they'll show you a few extra frames of like repeated of, action. Repeat yeah. the action a little bit, but like in American action movies, they'll usually like cut out a few frames to make it look faster and more impactful. Oh! But he talks about how just so much more real, uh, like a Jackie Chan action scene feels because it is real. Um, yeah. And in American cinema, it's like mo- you know mostly cheated in various ways. I love this guy. All right. I'm yeah. going to look it up. Two things for me. Two unpaid ador- endorsements. I mean, I feel like someone's already said mine. That's my concern. Oh, no, that's okay. That's everyone's concern. I'm obsessed with Pen15 on Hulu. Oh, no, no one has said it. I think it's the show boys and girls alike should all be watching 
there's something about it. It gives me all of the, it's like the freaks and geeks feels with a much more absurdist lens. Mm-hmm. The premises, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, if I'm butchering their names, I apologize. I, I think that's right, actually. Thank you. Yeah. I've, um, I've been doing my homework as I've gone obsessively down a rabbit hole, but basically they play their 13-year-old selves in the year 2000. Right, um, but they're adults. At right age now. 31. But the rest of the cast is 13-year-olds. And it is so bizarre to see them lusting after 13-year-old boys and interacting with, like, the typical mean girls who, like, are popular for no reason, who are 12, who are their arch enemies. And I've got to give not only them credit for something that's so weird, it kind of shouldn't work, but fully, fully does because of their utter and total commitment to to the embodying that spirit. But also to the teen actors, where I'm like, it's almost like when I watch The Wire, I'd be like, where do they find these perfect humans? That is what I feel in Pen15 on the comedy side of it, where I'm just like, not only are they nailing it as writers and directors and creators with Sam Zwiebelman. Sam Zwiebelman. It's truly amazing. Um, in that it can make you guffaw with laughter and also feel like you've been punched in the gut. I treat it like a horror series. Most of the time I watch it, I spend saying out loud, oh my God, no, don't, no, 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 I can't watch. And it's because the stuff that they're going through is, and the confidence with which they approach these situations they should have none in is utterly amazing and gut-wrenching and funny. I love it so much. I'll check it out. I heard them, they were on the frame or something recently and they talked about how they have to interact with these actors and what they tell them before they do the scenes with them. Like, Hey, I'm going to be really weird, but that they're just like really that, that all these young actors are really amazing. And the soundtrack's fantastic and spot on too. Yeah. Every once in a while, it's just like, here comes the life house that really <laughs> takes you back. And it's not even like I was that age. I'm older than they are. So it's not even that specificity of the nostalgia so much as just like you realize, again, there are these universal truths about right. what right. it is to be 13. I think there's also something about like um, music not being quite so fragmented. Right, like you didn't have top forty still meant something a little yes. bit then. So you reckon, like, there's no way I would hear whatever the contemporary equivalent to Lifehouse is. Yeah, or I haven't yeah. ever heard. <laughs> they you also only I mean? had one hit too. Right. To be sure. fair. sorry, Lifehouse, but yeah. it's true. Right, <laughs> but no, and it is, and it is these funny things they tie into. Like, there's a whole episode where they get obsessed with AIM mm-hmm. and trying to talk to boys on it. And I only had AIM in college. Uh, instant Messenger. Yes, AOL Instant Messenger. But my best friend and I definitely in 1993 went on a little thing I like to call CompuServe, <laughs> looking for cool area dudes in the Jersey Shore <laughs> who totally talked to us like they were 14, but I'm pretty sure weren't. Sure. Um, but I was like, oh, my God, it's like these two women have seen my very soul. But then you realize, no, there are just these rites of passage that all kind of converge in a way that makes you feel less alone in this world, too. Like you all were weird growing up. Right. Awesome. Not me. <laughs> or was but I've weird. heard I've you heard people weird. are weird. Um, well, this is when I would usually like come in with something random like the Swiffer wet jet. But I'm also gonna endorse a show. But has, have we talked about Russian Doll on this? Oh, I, I guess I know I it's like Russian so, Doll. I know it's so popular, but I think my hesitation is probably anyone who hasn't watched the show has the same hesitation, which is like, you know, it's a show about. Someone that keeps reliving the it's same like day a, over and Groundhog over. Groundhog Day, I like it. Yeah, yeah Groundhog Day yeah. and Edge of Tomorrow and um, every one of those shows, Happy Death Day. or Happy whatever. Death Day, there you go. Um, but there is a device in the show that 
makes it different from all those things. But you you have to watch a couple episodes. So oh, okay. I, I just um, no and my wife was like, yeah, you just just watch a few episodes. It goes deep too. That was one. I mean, I actually it was a toss up for me between Pen Fifteen and Russian Doll. So I love that you've talked about it. It. Um, I've never had a reaction to a show quite like it's one of those in terms of like totally kind of living the human spectrum of emotion over the course of a series, not just in one episode, but it was this gradual mm. existential craziness that it, the show goes in. Again, you can't talk yeah. about the details, but, but. Some, but kind of some of the best cliffhangers I've seen in a long yes. time. And it's eight half hour episodes. And I watched Six of them one night after mm-hmm. my wife went to sleep. Right. <laughs> and Natasha Leone is Im- incredible. And she directed the finale. And she wrote. And yeah, with Leslie Headland. And yeah. yeah, I mean, like, sh- they're all fantastic, everyone involved. And the art direction and wardrobe and styling and like lighting, everything is like oh, really There's excellent. an awesome cat actor in it. He's Ooh. so good. You cat- guys, keep cat- an eye on this cat- guy. Cat- I, I do some cat food commercials from time to time. Yeah, and that's a cat. <laughs> Expert. This guy has got it. He's New York based. Okay. Maybe he'd work as a local. I don't work with New York cats. Um, um, but for the real, final episode. He spends so much money boarding cats. I did do cat commercials at the beginning of the year, and I got I the, their rooms were my, nicer than mine. <laughs> we had a suite, so each cat, each breed, has its own room, and we anyway. Yes, I yeah. love that you picked Russian doll. I feel the same. Um, yeah, and the final episode also has like some in- incredible editing and visual you know i mean visually the whole show is really nice but the final episode i feel like has some new devices we haven't really seen before so i i don't know i i ended up really liking it fantastic casting too yeah um okay cool well if we want to find out more about you what do we i have into dawson the dawson dawson speak dawson speak on gtalk live in the year 1999 i um yeah i have a twitter um it's Allison Akel, very inventive. E A K L E. Mm-hmm. And Akel. Allison with one L. Oh right. Um, there's Akel. some angry politics. There's some um, enga- like social engagement, and then there's just uh, cat gifts and stuff from TikTok and retweets. Okay, well, if you want to find out about us um, or send us uh, <laughs> your pitches for us to forward to Allison, email yeah, us right, at exactly. Just shoot it pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find out everything about our podcast at our website, just shoot it podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All the stuff. All just shoot a pod. Just shoot a pod. Uh, I'm on Instagram as O Kaplan and on oh, Twitter as at Smitey Pileg. I'm at Mr. Madinlow on everything. I'd like to point out this is the first time Oren got it right. You did it, buddy. You knew my own <laughs> Instagram name. O Kaplan? Yeah. How often do you look at O-Kaplan, your own Instagram O-Kaplan. name? Well, that's O Kaplan, my Kaplan, is what I thought of immediately. There we go. Yeah, I'm everyone's Kaplan. <laughs> This episode was produced by Madeline Roswat, uh, edited by Jay McCullough. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and the music you're listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and provided by the Free Music Archive. Yeah, rate us on iTunes if you get a chance, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye! Bye.